For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Gerard will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at thecoachesnet. Once again, that is at thecoachesnet. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. I put up a couple of tweets earlier in the week. Um, around around this topic in particular, um, got my own views on it. But let's let's just start with your thoughts. You know, do you use rondos? Um, what do you think coaches should should and shouldn't uh, be considerate of when thinking about using them? I think it's a a great opening question because I think first of all we've got to answer like what do we even mean by a rondo? Because there'd be so many different people listening and everyone's heard the buzzword. But do they actually know what it means? And I, I would like to start off by even saying, you know, before answering yes or no, whether I do it or not, would be that just clarity on what we're saying, like what me and you were talking about, you know, and I think it's so important that coaches, there's loads of terminologies and things coming in, everything continues to evolve for sure. But how well do you know the history of your subject? You know, for me, uh, there's many definitions, but Rondo, you know, outside of football, is a re- rehearsal of a player of pass. It's a musical uh, term. It's it's part of a like a musical form to uh, with a recurring sort of theme, if you like. That's often found in the the final movement of a like a you know like the rehearsal of the the play or the sinatra or whatever. It was originally designed to refer to the process of returning to the same point and that rehearsal. Um, so it's a lyric. It's about music. Uh, it's where it comes from, you know, it's got origins in Spain and French, etc. And I think that concept 
obviously is quite important because when you think about what coaches do, it's not piggy in the middle or, you know, an, an activation activity only or when some coaches will say like they'll do a 4v1, they'll always create the overload or they'll do a 5v2 or 5v3 or 4v1, whatever. Um, but when they actually think about that design, they're rehearsing that particular pattern. And I think that's perhaps some of the problem because if we just understand what the origin is of, of even the definition of the word and perhaps that's one of the main issues is that if we think about how that influences our practice design, you know, the game isn't patterned. The game is forever changing, unpredictable, dynamic. Players have to be able to, you know, attune, optimally grip onto information, look for information, where the defenders are, where the teammates are, where the space is, where the consequences are, before the speed of sight in order to make uh, a decision to, to, to solve the problem, you know, whether to pass, whether to dribble, whether to stay on the ball, whether to change the angle, whether to move, whatever it may be. And I think because of the nature and the origin of the concept and how it's evolved and, and the way in which coaches often use a, when we talk about a rondo, um, I think then it, it leads to, you know, a massive issue in not necessarily helping to be representative of, you know, what the real game looks like. You know, it removes the need for having to search for information, having to scan, because you already know where all the players are, you know, and where the opponents are. And, you know, you're always, and I know we'll deep dive into this and unpack it in more detail, but you typically, uh, by design, you're fixed to certain reference points relating to the options you have on the ball. You know, and I always ask the questions when people talk about rondos. I always think like you, you, you're encouraging players to play the way they're facing. You, you're restricting the visual search. You're restricting the, the peripheral vision and reducing the visual search to like a central axis, if you like. You know, which is that only way you're facing because of the lack of direction in some cases. So, if we know that, you know. How can we, and I know we'll get to that, there's probably like four or five questions down the line. How can you change this concept and make it even more game-like? You know, but I would say I don't typically use rondos. Um, I've done different types of activities that people might call a rondo or positional possession, but I've always tried to make sure that um, I'm, there's principles that I'm working on and it has to be representative. It has to look like the game you know transition is a huge part of that so if the defenders win the ball what happens do they break out do they can they dribble can they score into a goal can they what what happens like what happens um what's the direction can players interchange and move randomly and unpredictably in order to play forward or change the point of attack are they only restricted to being able to to pass or can they dribble? Can they? And that's why I wouldn't typically use a rondo myself because I think, you know, the original way in which some people do design it, it can be limiting because of the reasons that I've talked about, you know, lack of transition, uh, direction, you're typically playing the way you're facing, you know where your teammates are, you know where the opponents are. It's not representative of the environment, so you're not having to look for information. Um, again, we'll unpack this in more detail, won't we, Yaz? But you know, my last point would be that I think 
here's a phrase that I use a lot, and it's part of my PhD study, is that we should often consider practice as search, in that learning is searching. So if we know that practice is search, meaning that we've got to look for information from the environment in order to come up with our own unique and adaptable solutions, then that means that we need to design practices and, and you know, use rules. And Tony mentioned this in one of the last ones, you know, different ways in which the coaches can use like conditions or whatever it may be. But it's got to lead to that unpredictability, that unstableness, that ability where players can look for information to come up with their own solution as opposed to relying on things that don't look like the game because, you know, people talk about, oh, we're working on creating and exploiting the overload. Well, you're not because you already have the overload. So if you've designed a practice in which there's an overload, well, that's not creating the overload because the players already have it. So they're not learning how to create the overload. In fact, you're only exploiting the overload. And even then, you know, that's questionable. We could potentially go back and forth on that. So I think there's a number of things to unpack. And the biggest thing is, no, I don't do it like that. Here's some of the reasons why. Know the origins. Really think about, like, what do we mean when we say about, like, this rehearsal of a, a pattern and, and the way in which we want to build that principle? And what other principles are we sacrificing or realism are we sacrificing? And are you comfortable with that? You know, and it, I mean, what you know, it'd be great to hear what your thoughts are on that, Yaz, because I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this as well. And you know how you how you see it, how you view it, if you view it the same way, you know how you would change it, that type of thing. Wow, there's a lot in there, John. Um, Sorry, mate. <laughs> no, no, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there, and I think there's there's so many questions that can come out from what you've just said. Um, and some, you know, I just want to kind of start by highlighting some key things that you've mentioned. That obviously, you know, the origins is really key um, because obviously the meaning comes from com comes from a specific place. But a few of the things that really jump out for me there is well, let me start by saying this: it's the question or it's the point that a lot of coaches will make is that Rondo works on passing and receiving. But it's not in context, in my opinion. As soon as it becomes not in context, and it's the one thing, uh, well, I'm going to use a couple different words here, but it, you know, the, the, the way that I describe my opinion, what coaching should be, it should be deliberate, it should be intentional, and it should be impactful. And a word that I really kind of uh, look for in all, everything that I do is becoming efficient. Right now, if the game presents you with certain problems, certain variables, certain considerations that you that you will take you will take into account when you're playing it, and those things are not then taken into account, or those things are not even existing within your practices, how can you become efficient? Now, a couple of things that obviously touched in there as well, you know, is this idea of unpredictability, finding solutions again. If the cues, the visual, the visual things that you're going to pick up on, um, if those things are not consistent with that of what is in the game, again, how does that practice become efficient and relative? You know, you know, when we, when we deliver some of the FA stuff, and you know, they, they talk about becoming realistic, repetitive, uh, well, providing realism, repetition, and um, relevance to your practices, and, and obviously that linking that into the ability and the level and the stage of the players that you're working with as well. 
the most common thing that I come across is people saying, oh, they use Rondo as a fun warm-up. And I get it. You know, and, I, and, and I've got very strong views on, on this. And, you know, I, I do get it. I get why people might use it. I get people why people might think it's an effective way of working. You know, and then... The, but the one thing that's kind of really become apparent over recent times for me is when you challenge what might be a common view or traditional view, people always want to know the why. But they're never really too settled on understanding the why for what they currently do. And I think that's a massive issue. And you know, I just want to highlight here, you know, I don't believe that the Rondo is necessarily a bad practice, but it's something that I would never use with my own plays for the exact reasons you've highlighted. There is a lack of scanning. The lack of direction means that it's not game-related. Uh, people would then, you know, have, have previously come back to say, yeah, but it's multi-directional, the game is multi-directional. Well, you can go in many directions, but actually it's not multi-directional. It's still going in, a, in many directions to achieve a particular outcome in the end of it. Whether you're looking to maintain possession, whether you're slowing down the game, whether you're trying to, you know, uh, do scenario play, where you're asking teams to manage the game and... and um, maintain possession for, for, for the purpose of not allowing the opposition to, to secure possession themselves. Actual fact is, because of the direction aspect of it, you're only going to make certain decisions which might take the ball a certain point back down the pitch towards your own end and a certain weight up the pitch towards the opposition's end in terms of maintaining that position, possession rather. So therefore, you know, the penetration piece has to come back into it. Eventually, your goal is you're going to maintain possession and wait for the appropriate and right and relevant opportunity for your team to penetrate. Now, that can't exist without direction. So the Rondo itself, in my opinion, is a redundant practice in terms of becoming efficient and impactful for what I would consider to be long-term uh, knowledge transfer long-term development in terms of uh, the visual perception aspect of it i mean there's so many different directions this conversation can go but you know let, let, let me let me hold there and maybe get your views on that first you're nailing it mate you've absolutely nailed it. and it's there's a big thing that you talked about there which was well i love the deliberate intentional impactful and then even problems even if we just consider those words alone that you've talked about like what problems are we designing for the players to have to try and solve and does it achieve that? And the, the answer, as you've just rightly explained, is simply no, is not really. You know, and everything can have a place if you're comfortable with the sacrifice, but you've got to understand why you're doing what you're doing. And I think a lot of coaches, like, carbon copy, like, they're just copy and paste, so they'll hear, oh, Cruyff did this, or Guardiola does this, or this coach has run us, so it must be good. I'm going to do it in my practice, and it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. But they don't really think about, well, Rather than just copying and pasting something off the internet, why don't you think about designing real problems that your players need to try and solve? So that's that should be, and that's hard. It's a hard place to get to because you've really got to gain a lot of experience. You've got to be able to have a good understanding of different scenarios and pictures and what ifs and what have you. And it takes time as a coach to get there. You know, you're not going to wake up one night and start drawing mad stuff. But simplicity is so key. And there was a word that you said there, Yaz, was uh, direction. And as you were saying it, I was thinking direction's a principle, if we think about it, because that dictates the game. And if we've got, like, obviously direction can be multi-direction, which is the game, of course. And the object of the game is, you know, 
we attack one end, we defend the other. So we've got to be able to find ways to get the ball forward, look forward, play forward, and, and, and go forward. So the opposite of that would be that how do you prevent the opponent from being able to go forward? And that's when you can start to unravel the principles of the game that don't change, irrespective of whatever our coaching beliefs are, playing philosophy. And you've said that so clearly. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are around direction. Because um, if, if that's the principle, how can we design to eliminate the rondo where it's more about that pattern and playing the way you're facing and think about ways that we can include direction within the design, you know, then what would that change? I mean, look, I think there's a, there's a, this is a really interesting topic, man. It's a really, really fascinating one. I think the first thing to highlight is, you know, you talked about direction being a principle. Direction is a principle because the purpose of the game is to outscore the opposition. And that needs to be kept at the forefront. The, the, that is the objective of the game. You're trying to score in my goal and I'm trying to score in yours while I'm trying to stop you and you're trying to stop me as and when appropriate. That That's the game. And if, if, if your practices aren't aligning with that as an outcome, and it doesn't mean necessarily you have to have a goal in every session. You know, I've had this conversation with so many people who say, well, why don't we just play games all the time? Well, you could do. <laughs> that's, that's the reality. You could, you could actually do that and coach within the game around the principles of the game. And as you quite rightly said, those principles have never changed. They will, they will never change. And that's the one thing you can guarantee about the game of football. It's an invasion game and there's only one way to you know, to operate within that and that's following the principles of play. And it's not following the principles of play specific to football. No, it's an invasion game. It's, it's, the, it's how you conquer and counter in the game. Hence why the ultimate principle is penetration because you don't necessarily need to create space to penetrate. You don't necessarily need to support one another to create space, I mean, to, uh, to penetrate. The objective is to penetrate and there's so many different ways in which we can go about doing that. You know, then people say, oh, yeah, well, Pep uses the uh, Rondo Clock. That's great. doesn't mean that's the most impactful and efficient way to do it. They might be getting some success. But one of the, of the other things that often comes back, oh, well, you know, the teams in Spain and the Germany and, you know, they've done all this, they do stuff around Rondos and that's why they've got, no, actually, they've had a lot of success probably because from an early age, they actually play a lot of small-sided games, which we typically may or may not do in this country. Quite often probably don't do as many small-sided games and really help the players to understand the principles of the game effectively enough for them to have that same relative success, if you like. And, you know, that's that's probably moving on to even another topic in, its, in itself. But No, you're bang on, though. We don't. I mean, there are recent studies that have come out and it is getting better compared to what it was like, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But there's, there's recent studies that have come out that have basically said, like, active decision-making time or problem-solving uh, challenges, you know, compared to other countries, it, uh. it, we're typically more where people might talk about like information processing. We're more down the lines of designing answers and scripts and rehearsal of a, a script or a pattern, and there's a correct answer to every solution versus actually going, well, no, the game's random and unpredictable, and we've got to create opportunities where the players have to look for information from the environment. You know, there's a great piece from, you know, Mark's listening. Uh, Mark O'Sullivan, we've talked about direction a lot tonight. Direction's huge. Where's the opponents? What what does the, what does the what? How can we manage the opponents in order to create a problem for us to solve? And you know, does the rondo do that? Because the opponents are fixed. Well, I th- I th- They're always underloaded. You know, what can they do when they get the ball? So again, like if we're thinking about opponents, we're thinking about consequence. I think there's always got to be choice. You know, in every design of our practices and you said this very clearly 
what choices do the players have to make? But if we're going down the realm of like the rehearsal and playing the way you're facing, you know, let's say you have one player at the end, well, they're limited in their choice. Well, now, if you have two players at the top end, they can now go, well, maybe I can't play. Maybe I've got to bounce it sideways or backwards in order to go forward. But even well, then, like, why can't they dribble? <laughs> Can you press? The, there's loads of things, isn't there? We could go on there's, and, there's, and. There's so there's so much in there, Joe. And I think you know the first thing to really think about as well is the fact that there is no clear direction to what to a rondo means that the reference points are so false to what the game would be 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 requiring the players to consider. Well, I mean, if, you look, if you look at the, the defenders as an example, right? I'm now just to give a bit a bit a bit, a bit of clarity. Let's just imagine we're just talking about a simple basic. Uh, traditional rondo which might be a 4v2 or a, you know a 6v3 or something along the lines of that right first of all you know I'm 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 going back through some of the comments and, and, and points that have been made re- in the recent days over, around this and one of the things is, oh yeah but it's, it's about how the coach coaches it well as soon as you add direction into it actually it moves away from being a rondo so one of the things you know I, I, I wanted to kind of bring up and really delve deeper into shortly is when does it become a rondo and move away from that into an actual position activity? Now, that's that's one thing. The second piece is coming back to what I was saying is as soon as you remove the direction piece of it, that means the defenders have no reference point. There's no reference point for where the defenders are actually trying to defend. Therefore, every decision the defenders make is false to what the game would be required them to make. And it's going to be so inconsistent to the point where the defenders are just chasing the ball. That doesn't happen in a game. It doesn't happen in a game. No matter, and, and one of the things I always say is anyone with a mouth can make a case, but the reality is the game and where the goal is, where the reference points are, where we're trying to attack and defend are going to outrightly dictate and have a direct impact on our decision as whether to go press the ball, whether to allow space in front of us, whether to allow space in behind us, whether to allow uh, even allow space in between us. So... When right. coaches are saying, oh, it's teaching players to pass and move the ball and maintain possession and split opposition. Well, splitting opposition is great. But if you're splitting opposition that have no reference point and they, they, they've, therefore there's no objective for them to actually think to themselves, oh, well, the only reason we're not going to want to be split is because we're going to stay in for another rep. That would never happen in a game. As soon as you say to them, right, here's what we're going to do. Even if you keep the basic structure of a rondo, make it 4v2, 6v3, open the space up a little bit, whatever that looks like. As soon as you add that direction piece into it and say to the defenders, actually, guys, you guys in the middle, your job is simple. Your job is to stop the ball from getting from the bottom of the practice to the top of the practice, as an example. All of a sudden, their behaviour completely changes. Their actions completely change. Their angles, their approaches, their distances to wherever the ball may be completely changes. And what you might start to see is actually these players might just start to shield, slide and screen across the forward pass rather than just trying to hunt the ball down to try and get out of the practice. Another thing that you mentioned, obviously, obviously earlier was about, about the transition. Well, what happens when the defender actually wins the ball? And, you know, so I've, heard, I've heard people say, oh, well, they, just, they can drive out the grid. They drive out the grid for what? Yeah, well, if they've well, got no intention, yeah. if there's no direct... A deliberate outcome for them to win the ball and then go and do something with it, again, it's inconsistent with the game. You wouldn't yeah. want your players to drive the ball off the grid. And the second, the other, you know, beyond that, it's now, it's an, it's not only is an overloaded practice, the problem with it 
people say, oh yeah, you know, you've probably seen it. You know, the the, the images, the videos that come across, message the, the tweets that come out. Oh, you know, there's rondos everywhere on the pitch. Yes, there is, technically speaking, if that's how you want to phrase it. But then ask yourself this: How long does it exist in that manner? Yeah, how long does it exist? You now. might see a four v two. You know, someone showed me a clip the other day, or sort of a freeze frame the other day. I watched the video that they then followed up with. And immediately, within two seconds of the video, what was the first thing the person tried to do on the outside? They weren't trying to maintain possession. They were trying to score. So it made the whole the whole image redundant. So, yes, you can say, I can take a snapshot and say, yes, yeah, a 5v2 situation. That's a rondo. But actually, how long, and realistically, how long will, it situa- will the situation stay that way? Maybe a second, two, three, if you're lucky. But you are now, you've now got two players in the middle against four or five against three or six against three or whatever that looks like for an extend, extended period of time that would never exist in a game. Beyond that, if you're going to do it for an extended period of time, also cater and allow for the, for the repercussions of what that might look like in a game. So after four seconds, is there another player that comes in? After five seconds, is there another player that comes in? Does it start to get balanced? Does it start to recreate what the game would actually give you as a result of those situations? And the other piece on that, and it, you know, I, I, I'll let you jump in after this one because there's a lot here. No, good. The the other pieces as well. You've got players on the outside of the Rondo who cannot be challenged. They cannot be challenged. If you go on a traditional structure of a Rondo, the two players or three players, whoever's in the middle, is stuck in the middle. They are not allowed out. That would never happen in a game. It would. It, it, it's impossible to happen in a game. So therefore, again, I just highlight the point. How are you being impactful and efficient with your delivery by using a rondo? And never mind the, the previous points you've talked about already about lack of direction, in, um, you know, decreasing the frequency of scanning because you know where the players are. And people, you know, people say, oh, well, it's not necessarily the practice itself, it's how you coach it. And then it brings up this major question for me. If you are now trying to justify a practice by saying the coach should be bringing the attention and awareness of the players to X, Y, Z variables, I'm sorry, but if your coach is having to go out of his way or her way to bring explicit awareness to something in the practice, then your practice is not realistic, it's not relevant, and it's not doing its job, in my opinion. Well, no, bang on. And again, that goes back to intentionality, what you said earlier. Like, what's the intentionality involved? And I just think you've given loads of examples there. You've even said, like, how could you make it more realistic? Well, maybe the defenders can drive out, but then what happens next? And these are all the things that, these are the questions that coaches should ask is what happens, what's the motivation for the players when they win the ball, like to go and want to win the ball back and and that transition to being able to go from defending to attacking and the principles that will be involved. And what's the motivation and, and, you know, principle you're working on and, and player actions for the team that have the ball, and why do they always have to play the way they're facing? Because that isn't the game either. And why can't they? There was something you were talking about actually when you were talking about like that wouldn't happen in a game, or this situation doesn't last for very long. And and then I just made this comment. I was writing down. I thought context, like context, is so key because how do you recreate that environment where? Like, shit, we've just lost the ball. What's my intentionality to go win it back? What's my reaction? Or, actually, now, I don't need to play forward. 
but because of the way in which most people design that typical rondo, they're, they're always playing that direction. But actually, there's times where I can stay on the ball. Or actually, I might drive. Or actually, I might not do... So it's how do you create those contexts where when do you go and hunt? When do you play a bit of cat and mouse? When do you do this? When do you do that? When do you make a supporting run? When don't you? You know, there's times where like, I've watched Champions League games, as you will have, and I'm watching... Kyle Walker or whoever, and I'm going, normally he'd be bombing on now, but now he's not. Why is that? He's playing a bit of cat and mouse with Mbappe. You know, context. And how do you create that? And again, it's realistic, representative information that the players have to look for. But if we don't design those problems, as you said, we're creating false environments. And then they're going to go into a game and not, not see uh, the situation that they've rehearsed because it's not going to look exactly perfect like that that they've done in that training session. And they're going to look to the bench for the answer versus actually creating players that are adaptable, self-learners, this type of thing. So, fucking, you know, <laughs> it'd be great to, no, be great this, to this see whatever bit, again, you know, to the questions and that, wouldn't it? There, there's, so, there's so much in there again. One of the other key things that comes into this, um, this in no way, shape or form is meant to offend anyone. But in my opinion, if you're using a rondo and you believe it to be the most impactful way of working, you, you've, you've, you've not studied the game well enough. Now, that might be a strong statement, but you've not studied the game well enough to be as impactful and as effective as, as, as you possibly can be. Now, I say that to say this, and this is goes for all coaches, everyone, everyone listening to this, and everyone you know who wants to share this information on. Just because your players are perceived to be getting success, doesn't mean it is. Beyond that, as a coach, I'm you know I'm, I'm challenging yourselves. Can you get more out of your practice? And if you can, then start asking these questions. What are the things that my players are actually going to need to experience in a game? And just because they're getting quote-unquote some success in your existing practices does not mean that it's the most effective and efficient way of working. In fact, just because it looks like they're getting success, they, you might actually be setting them back. And I, and I made this point the other day. I think the, ron, the rondo in itself, in my opinion, could actually be detrimental to the long-term development of the players because you're, you're exposing them and asking them to react efficiently to incorrect cues that are consistent with the game so now you're almost developing what you might perceive to be good habits because you think they're scanning you think they're passing to play you think they're penetrating but actually without the direction it's not penetration it's just maintaining possession without the direction and without the penetration piece you're now maintaining possession for the sake of maintaining possession and then people throw the argument, you know, yeah, but they need to learn how to manage the game and did all of this. Yes, but actually the variables that they're responding to are so inconsistent with the game that actually the transference of it from there to the game itself, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. And then, you know, it kind of leads, it leads me on to another aspect of this is coaches need to start delving deeper and asking themselves what are the variables they'll actually be responding to in the game and be honest and open with yourselves and say right yes they might be passing yes they might be receiving yes there might be elements of turning yes there might be elements of um maintaining position yes there might be elements of penetration in your practice but 
is it how it would look in a game? And if it's not, sorry, but your practice is not do practice is not doing its job. And you and and not only their game, but their game. And it's that it's that stage, isn't it? And I think, you know, again, just revisiting back to where we started when we talked about the conversation is how how many questions do you really ask when you're designing practices, or are you just carbon copying, or are you just adopting stuff? Really thinking how well do you know the history of your subject? So I think you know we've probably posed a lot of questions and. I don't think it's being harsh. I think it's it's a fair point because obviously we're putting a lot of thought into this and it'd be interesting to see. I know we've got Yasu's requested to chat. It'd be interesting to see what, you know, people's thoughts are because ultimately, you know, what can't be denied is the fact that players make decisions based on time and space, number of variations, you know, the, the unpredictability, the dynamicness of the game, which is forever changing. So if we know that players have to look for information from the environment in order to come with their own unique and adaptable movement solutions, why aren't we creating better practice environments and using clever challenges and, and other things to make sure that, as you said, we're not giving them false information, like unspecified information, that they're, they're looking for information that they're gonna, that's more like the game versus this false manufactured environment so brilliant and you know it'd be great to there's a lot of experience in the room you know so we can i guess we could open up to yasir and and equally you know anyone else who who wants to uh who wants to ask any questions or make a comment you know agree disagree definitely just before we get yasir involved there guys it is, it is a very, very um, hot topic of debate. There's a lot of coaches that do utilise Wonders in their practices. And if you are one of them, please feel free to come up. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know your feedback. Let us know why you do what you do. And while you're at it, guys, make sure you're following myself, Gerard. Share this space because there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting responses and debates to come on this on, the, on this space, let alone future dates. Um, but yeah, over to you, Yassir. Speak, um, just maybe give a brief insight around who who you are, where you coach, and then we'll go from there. Hey, you're right, guys. Um, uh, interesting conversation. I'm I'm co- currently coaching uh, step five. Um, really enjoying the conversation, Yash. The way you talk about rondos, it's like it's your ex girlfriend or something. You absolutely hate it. I love the passion. Um, for me, what I think rondos are about um, is sort of like conditioning. So the same way that you've got your your physical conditioning, your fitness. Um, you know, a fitness practice isn't going to improve a player long term. What it's going to do is improve them in the short term. And you've got to do fitness regularly to keep them at that extra level. Now, in a similar way, you know, if you're doing, say, a finishing practice, it could be coaching. You could be developing the player body shape, technique, decisions. Or you could just be letting them finish 20 minutes, for, do 20 minutes of finishing the day before a big game. Um, so that they get that bit of extra sharpness. It's not going to develop them in the long run, but it's going to give them a little bit of extra sharpness in the short term. Now, in the same way, I see a rondo. It, so for me, I'm coaching twice a week. Is it worth my time doing a rondo? Is it the best thing for my players? No. But if you're obviously a full-time coach, you got your players, you know, 24-7, you do whatever you want with them. Uh, if you're a possession team, and so much of your game is about moving the ball very quickly, it's in that small space, 
the anxiety, the ball can come to you at any second, I've got to release it quickly. That that little repetition, that, that one small thing, the repetition of that one small thing is going to give players the extra sharpness of, of being concentrated and, and being composed and moving it out. And that could well make uh, a significant difference in a, in, a, in a big, big game. That's just my, uh, my uh, perspective. Cool. You see, I'm just going to jump in first before Gerard does, okay? First thing I'm going to ask you is this. You make, you make a great point about the fitness piece, right? Um, question for you, though. If you were doing fitness, what would that look like? It depends on, on the group, really. Um, Give me an example. I'd like to do it with the ball, you know, um, a lot of... Why would um, you like to do it with the ball? Because it's, um... Because you can get technical gains as well as physical. Okay, so what would that look like in practice? Give me an example of something that you've done before. Well, get them moving um, with the ball, move, dribbling with the ball, a ball each, you know, moving through the cones or whatever. Maybe it's a one-to-one competition, um... You know, in terms of one player trying to get through a gate, one player trying to stop it, um, relay races, stuff like that. Okay. I don't do a lot of fitness, to be honest. I, I do more small-sided games. So. Okay. Um, that, that's that's fine. So let's look at the fitness piece first, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. In any effective environment, you can argue that fitness elements will benefit the players, whether you whether you believe it to be short term, long term, or however. You 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 argue that. But again, coming back to the key piece that I'm talking about here. Is about being efficient and impactful with your coaching. If you, if you, if you go into the elite environments, you're talking about having sessions two weeks, uh, say twice a week, as an example. My question is always this: Why would I spend time doing stuff in my session that I know the players could be doing by themselves? Now, the argument can be: Well, the players might not have time to do it by themselves. But actually, if they know that this is something that could be benefiting them, that's on them. It's not your responsibility to get them to do everything that's going to benefit them. What your responsibility is, in my opinion, is to become as most impactful with your coaching as possible. So if you go to the elite environments, as an example, where they coach maybe three, four, five times a week and they've got a full-time schedule with the players, all the fitness-related work that they do at the top environments is done in line with the movements, the patterns of the, the patterns of... The patterns of movement, the fundamental aspects of each position or pattern of play that they might be working on, those are the bits that the fitness piece is working on. So not just running for the sake of running. They might be running in certain patterns, certain directions, certain body movements, certain movement, foot foot patterns, certain ba- um, balancing motions, certain pieces of agility that are going to link directly to the way that they might need to play on the, de- on, the game, on the game day as an example. Now, you talked there about Rondo giving that sharpness, and I get, I get the point. I get it. But my question to you is, would you rather be sharp at something that you're going to be doing in a game, or would you rather just be sharp? Well, the same thing can be said of fitness. Uh, fitness is not a hundred. No practice is going to be hundred percent realistic. So, so no, uh, no, not but there is more. To... There is. But this, this is my point. If it's not realistic, and you know it's not realistic, then why would you do it? Especially well, when you know that there's practice... more realistic practices out there. Well, you could say that about literally anything besides an 11 side game. If you want perfect realism, that's just an 11 side game. 100%. So why not strip it back and ask yourself, right, how do we keep it as close to the 11 side game? Or if they're playing 9 side, 9 side game, or if they're playing 7 side, 7 side, how do we keep it as close to that as possible? Because surely the closer it is to the real thing, 
the more efficient and impactful the decision-making, the transference of learning, the long-term development will be because the factors which they are taking into consideration are much more aligned with the real game that they're going to be playing and therefore their training becomes more consistent because they're relying on the, the, as close as possible the consistent cues whether that be space time um you know uh, area sizes whatever that might look like so if you've recognized consciously that a rondo doesn't uh, give you those things and you recognize consciously um, that actually 11 aside game or the full game might be the closest thing to it why would you why would you not do it all other things being the same, you're correct. But this is one factor. So realism is one factor. Repetition is another factor that has a lot of games to it. So so I, I, mean, I think you said something similar to what I've said in that if you've got your players for, for, for seven days a week, if you're in a professional environment, you're not going to do small-sided games all day, every day because you're going to knacker the players out. So there is room for a bit of rondo where the physical load isn't too high. So you're not going to knacker them out before the game. But there's, 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 it's probably the be- next best thing they can do. So I'm, if they have I'm, the energy... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not having that. <laughs> because ultimately, you're saying that you know, if you've got more time with your players, that you're going to spend more... Of, you know, it gives you room to do stuff that's not realistic. In fact, the more time you get with your players, I think it's even more important to take advantage of that time. So, so, so if you've got two games a week for, for yeah. let's say December, December you've got maybe fourteen games in in thirty five days. You're telling me you're going to do small sided games every day, uh, in uh, you know game realistic games. I mean, that's just you're going to knock out. You don't want to do that because you've got two or three days to to go from one game to another. So you need your physical recovery. Yeah, no, that's, 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 all, that's, that's all well and good. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I wouldn't change things around based on the workload. All I'm saying is any practice that I do, even if it means I have to lower the workload and lower the physical output of the players, it would never result to me using a rondo because the rondo, you've even made the point, you know it doesn't really reflect realism of the game. Now, mm-hmm. you made a point there about repetition. Why would you want to consistently repeat something that you know is not going to exist in their game? It doesn't make any sense. You're better off, in my opinion, doing less reps of something that's real or doing a, a good number of reps on something that's real, even if you have to lower the workload. You might give more rest periods. You might, you might, you might change the physical load in the session. But there's so many aspects. Like I, think, I think, to be honest with you, clarify a nail on the head and wrap up what you said there, is the rondo isn't real. It's not. Knowing that it's not real, I'm challenging coaches to say to themselves, ask the, ask the question, why would I still do this when I can probably create practices which are more aligned with the realism of the game based on the cues that they were likely to face and, in, and be encouraged to pick up on? Um, the cues that they're going to be getting in the game, whether that, and the thing is, this is the reality of it as well, you see, you're never going to get full repetition of the realism of the game. No repetition is, is, is going to be the same ever. Whether that be because the player, you know, whether it because it went over five yards rather than five point five yards, or whether it went six yards over rather than six point five yards, every single repetition is going to be different. So knowing that that is the case, why do we not just give them more repetitions as close to possible of the real game? Because and the key mean... benefit to a rondo, the key benefit to a, it's not about you're talking entirely from a technical perspective, and yes, from a technical perspective. 
uh, uh, just a pass in a rondo. But I'm I'm talking about the anxiety and the composure and the concentration required. So if you go through a period in a game where there is high pressure and, and small space, it's going to prepare you psychologically for that situation in the game. But go, Gerard, go and jump in, man. No, yeah, I think it's... <clears throat> for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think it's interesting because there's potentially like loads of things that, and Yaz, you'll know this, like what's being said that I'm not sure we'd all agree on. <laughs> agree on. And I think we're, there's a danger of going down some rabbit holes because we could go off some tangents. But what I, obviously, what I'd probably say, yes, here is that you're talking about anxiety and composure. I'd probably challenge that in the sense of the rondo only because. Is it real anxiety that, you know, those words that you used right at the start when you first talked, which was like sharpness, conditions, and I find that fascinating. You know, it might be semantics, but it it's relating to a falseness of trying to create something. You know, you talk about if you want to be a possession game, things like that. Well, for me, you know, what are the opposition doing? Do you have to release early? It's not, you know, everything's a possession because we the object of the game is we have to be able to use possession effective and efficiently in order to score. And there's no one perfect way of doing that. And this, can, this you know, by having this vision that we'll know the Rondo, well, what it will do is it will make him, you know, have to play quicker or sharper and this and that. I'm not convinced it does because you, you're making decisions based on false information when there's you're not you're already got an overload you're potentially exploiting an overload but not really because the choices based on how you can manage the opposition are different so to really simplify all this i would say two things which we need to really consider we've perhaps not really said and one is that how can you manage the opposition in the first instance in anything that we design in order to create a problem that we're, we're hoping that the team are trying to solve. So we're managing the opposition. So you, you're creating and designing problems. Second thing would be, we talked about repetition. I'm going to pose this as a phrase out there, which is, is it repetition or is it repetition without repetition? So what do we actually mean by that? Repetition without repetition. And if we look at the design of what we're talking about tonight, we're getting repetition with repetition. Well, that's just the rehearsal. You can be as sharp as you as you want on that, mate. It's not going to relate to a game. 
because the game changes. But repetition without repetition means that players will have to come up with solutions in a situation that's forever changing. It might involve pressure when faced up. which It might involve pressure from behind. It might involve pressure from the side. It might involve uh, different types of scenarios. It will do because it's unpredictable. But you're still able to get the repetition of when to play, when not to play, rhythm, tempo, how to exploit, how to play forward. You're getting repetition of principles, you know, but you're not sacrificing all of the principles that are really important. And we talked about things like direction. We talked about transition tonight. We talked about the ability to, you know, where's the free player and all this stuff. So for me, it's not repetition. It's repetition without repetition. And if we get our heads around that, we can start to think about design stuff that can be within games and or whatever you want, but it's got that unpredictable nature where you rehearse, you, you're still working on the same stuff, but in under different scenarios. And I think that's where we've got to think about it, you know. But open to, I think Tony was up next. I'm not sure what whatever your thoughts are. Yes. Yeah, I think we had, um, this, is it Adigan? Up first. Okay. Eddie, do you want to just unmute your mic? Just give us a bit of an insight around who you are, where you're working, and we'll go from there, man. Sorry, Eddie, we're struggling to hear you. I'm not sure if it's only me, but you sound like you're very quiet and far away from the phone. Okay, let me speak a bit louder. I don't know if it's clear or not. It's a bit better, still struggling, but go for it, man. Let's see what we can get out. All right. For me, my thoughts are... Okay, like I was saying, my name is John. I'm director of coaching for a football academy in Nigeria. Uh, we work with U10 kids, U12 kids, U14, and we have an under-15 and an under-16 group as well. Uh, to be honest, uh, I think I, I would say I differ a lot from the opinion of the two hosts, uh, and with good reason. First, I would say, in my opinion right now, there seems to be a big exaggeration on representativeness of the game in a way that might be theoretically correct, but it's practically, I believe, unsound. So if I would borrow from what Yasir mentioned, the honest truth is perfect representation of the game or perfect representativeness of the game does not exist. It doesn't. The only thing that is perfectly representative of a game is the game itself. In fact, an 11-a-side game on your training ground is not perfectly representative of an 11-a-side game in a stadium with 20,000 fans cheering. So the first point I would like to make is perfect representativeness of the game does not exist. Only the particular game is perfectly representative of itself. Now, when we understand that, we start to see why maybe we are over-exaggerating the importance of representativeness of the game. In the sense of this, 
If I asked a coach that argued against a rondo, for example, do you do a four against four small-sided game in your practice? They would likely say yes. And if I ask them, do you think that is good practice? They would likely say yes. But is the four against four practice perfectly representative of the game? The answer is no. So for example, most likely, depending on the size or space that you use, but if you use a realistic space for a 4v4 small-sided games, you most likely disafford the opportunity for long balls. So a player can't make long balls in a 4 against 4 or a 3v3 exercise. Does that make a 3v3 exercise inefficient or unproductive for the players? Absolutely not. Why? Because there's enough things in the 4 against 4 that will transfer to the game. So the 4 against 4 does not need to be perfectly representative of the game before certain behaviors and skills can transfer to the game. So the point is this, that a rondo is not perfectly representative of the game does not mean there are not skills or behaviors that can be developed in the rondo that are not relevant to the game. So for example, I would, uh, I would add this. So for a young player, let's imagine a three-year-old kid that has never played football before in their lives. And they spend a lot of time just kicking about the ball in the living room with their dads or their moms. In three months, that player's or that kid's capacity or skill to pass the ball is going to be far better than the kid that is doing nothing. And the reason is just the kicking about in the sitting room, learning is already occurring. Is the kick about with your dad perfectly representative of the game? Absolutely not. But something there, an action there is representative and it is realistic and it is relevant to the game. If that skill is being developed, it will transfer to the game, even though there are plenty of things in the game that are missing from that in quote particular exercise. So yes, there are many things missing in the room though. Absolutely true. Are there things in the rondo, however, that will transfer to the game? Absolutely true. So, for example, in the rondo, a player has to adjust their position to make lines of pass to receive the ball. Is that a skill that is relevant to the game itself? Absolutely, yes. So that is validity for the rondo. Because you are developing a skill of continuously looking for spaces and making passing lines to receive the ball, which is an ability a player is going to need in the game. Secondly, and I would end on this point, would be that even the actions on the ball are also relevant to the game. Because we talk about cues and perceiving situations in the game, but sometimes we forget that one of the key things that players have to actually perceive and be able to skillfully act upon is the ball itself. So a player making 100 touches and 100 passes in a rondo is a skill and a behavior that is going to transfer to the game because it is relevant to the game. A player has to master their touch. A rondo gives the opportunity to the player to master their touch. Because why? It's the idea of the principle of propensities. If you are designing a task, you can target the behavior or the skill you want to develop by over-exaggerating it. Yes, does it take away some realism from the game? Yes, but it's necessary. 
for that particular skill to be improved. If it is too random, like if you are playing the 11 aside game every single day in training, it's difficult to isolate certain behaviors and skills and work upon them extensively. A rondo offers you that opportunity to do so. Right, right. John. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on that. So I've got a couple um, things I just want to add to what you've just said there. First and foremost, you're, you're right. You're right. Arondo can, Arondo can present you with opportunities to develop your passing and the other stuff like, oh, you know, making lands of passes and movement to receive and all that stuff. But here's the key piece, John. The pure fact that it is out of context, therefore multi-directional, lacking direction means that the way in which you perform your actions to achieve those things is inconsistent with the game. Now, you mentioned another thing about playing a 4v4. Well, while the 4v4, it might, in my opinion, is a better substitute for the Rondo, yes, you might not get as many specific passes in, in, in the 4v4. You might not get as many specific um, movements in a 4v4. You might get a larger variety of those things. You also get the opportunity to dribble the ball. You also have direction in that practice. But most importantly, above all, you can actually work on the principles of the game, which are consistent regardless of whether you play 11v11, 7v7, 9v9, 5v5, 3v3, whatever you play. Because the point of the game is this. We are trying to outscore the opposition. There is no other point to the game. On that basis alone, the Rondo, in my opinion, is redundant for, for maximum impact and efficiency in developing the players you can argue like you said a three-year-old might start kicking the ball and those things might help the player develop to do some of the things that they might need to do in the game but again because they are out of context again come back to rondo i'm making passes that i wouldn't necessarily make in a game i'm reacting to where defenders are based on behaviors that they're implementing based on inconsistent and incorrect cues in line with the game Therefore, the cues, the visual representation of what's actually happening in front of me are not the same things I'm going to be responding to and reacting to when the game now comes about. Therefore, again, in my opinion, the rondo becomes redundant. You make a point about making passing lines and different types of passes. But actually, again, as I mentioned, the 4v4, not only do you get passing opportunities, you also get dribbling opportunities. And depending on how you set the 4v4 up, whether it's with end zones or goals, you also get now shooting opportunities, all which are consistent and real and actually relevant to the game. Sorry, Gerard. No, I think it's I think it's really great that we've had such a, a passionate um, counter argument, and this is what we want. You know, we we I think everyone can have a view on stuff, and I, and it's okay to disagree, isn't it? I think. There were some points that you made that are fairly valid. Um, but ultimately, you know, I'd agree with Yaz and I would say that I'm just going to refer back to a couple of questions, which would be, you know, when you were talking, I was thinking to myself, uh, do they though? Because if we're to Yaz's point, you know, we're talking about breaking lines or whatever, and we've all had to do these different types of activities, I'm sure. But are they actually making that conscious choice and coming up with that solution, do they have to recognise the opportunity to break that line? 
because think about where the pressure is or what type of level of pressure, opponent pressure is and where they're typically in front of and what what are we trading off as a result of the design? And I think as coaches, you've just got to ask yourself the question that, you know, we know that nothing's going to be, the game is episodic. So every game is a one-off anyway, if we're going to go down that road. But what we're actually saying is that can we create environments where players have to react to the unpredictableness of stuff? And there might be times where we'll amplify or dampen certain things because we want to get out certain outcomes or whatever from the session. You've got to have a rationale behind what you do and why. And for me, as we're talking and listening to yourself and your arguments and and even Yaz, I would just say, what are we trading off? What are we actually trading off here? And are we comfortable with that? And, you know, I'm not so comfortable with what we're trading off. I think if we're designing environments that are less about that rehearsal of that pattern, that, hey, if the two are here, I can split them. Or, hey, I can play around if I go here. And I've always got that choice that I can go here or here. But actually, how can we redesign that problem in a different way that's perhaps a little bit more unpredictable, but in a safe way? So you're allowing safe uncertainty versus safe certainty. Because what you're referring to when you were giving some fantastic counter-arguments, 10 out of 10, um, and it's great to hear the passion you know, behind your thoughts, but you're referring to safe certainty where you're developing that confidence in the player. And I can understand why. And if, that's, if you're comfortable in that, then good luck to you. Um, but I think we've got to think about the uncertainty-ness of what's the consequence if I lose the ball here What's the what's going to happen if I want to make that decision here? What am I going to have to look for in order to recognise and identify and exploit space? So I'm looking for that. Oh wow, Yaz has got his hips open, and actually I might look one way and go the other, or whatever. And you might say to me, "Well, no, you can do that in the rondo." Perhaps to your argument, you can if you're manufacturing a scenario where there's that certainty that that outcome will will be achieved but that's not the real the real game and it and we've got to go away from the exaggeration of and you rightly said the real game we're not saying that we're not saying hey it's got to be over here we're not saying that what we're saying is and I go back to that phrase before repetition without repetition can you create and it can be it doesn't matter what the numbers are what's your rationale behind creating a problem for the players to have to solve. And that's the key. And then, again, what are the trade-offs as a result of the the rules of the game? Is there a clear method of scoring? If we go back to what that rondo is, you may say, yeah, there's a clear method of scoring. They do this and they go there and the, the object is to get the ball here. Okay. How can we make that more difficult? How can we make that more challenging? How can we design it in such a way where they have to search for information versus already knowing where everything is. So that's the certainty bit. Because for me, there's one thing that is guaranteed is that the game is uncertain. There'll be moments where I will receive the ball 
and it might take a ball. I might have to dribble. I might have to do this. I might have to do that. And that goes back to like, you know, Yaz said it perfectly, that context piece. And I think you referred to it as well. And it's interesting when we come up with our counter arguments, we're almost contradicting ourselves. I think that's where we've just got to go. Like, are we comfortable with what we're saying? And yeah, we may agree and disagree, but yeah, I think it's hopefully there's there's some you know key questions here that we've all got to ask ourselves. A hundred percent. Sorry, I don't know if I could add uh, two final points. Uh, the first one, I think I like the word Gerard used, which is the idea of trade-offs. And I think for me, this is where I believe it's key for coaches to understand that every task they design or they choose to use with their players, they are giving off every task that is not the 11 versus 11 game assuming adult players in this case, they are trading off something else for something. And for me, that you are trading off something that is realistic in the game does not necessarily make an exercise a bad exercise. A 9v9, for example, is more real than a 3 versus 3. But I wouldn't advise any coach never to do a 3 versus 3 because it's not as real as a nine against nine. And I think maybe to some extent, it feels like that is what some of these kind of conversations lead to, where it feels like we are advising coaches not to do windows because they are not as representative as a four against four exercise, for example. But that argument, we will not make the same argument if it was a four against four versus a nine against nine. Why? Because there are certain things we trade off in the four against four. Yes, but they are useful for the player's development. And those things might exist in a nine against nine, but we can make that trade off rightly so because we want to exaggerate a particular aspect of the game. So, for example, if I really wanted to work on dribbling, I would reduce the number of players in an exercise. And I would probably ensure that it's an even number exercise. A 1v1, a 2v2, a 3v3 is going to give my players more opportunities to dribble than an 11 aside game. So am I trading off certain realisticness? Yes, but I am making that trade-off because I want to emphasize dribbling in that particular part. So in a rondo, that is the same idea. You are trading off certain good things. Because you want to emphasize the person and the receiving aspect of the game. And the second point I want to make is that at the end of the day, we have to see that the rondo is just one part of the training session. I don't think there's any coach that is doing rondos for two hour training sessions and they are only doing rondos in every single session. So, if you are saying, oh, maybe a possession exercise with direction is good, there's nothing that stops the coach from doing that possession exercise immediately after the 15 minute or 20 minute rondo or 10 minute rondo. So that part of their diet, where there is directionality to the possession, is still coming in the session. And if you are taking it even to the real game itself, it is still coming in the session. So the reality is we can dissect in theory the disadvantages of the rondo or this and that, but we have to see that it's not the only exercise 
in the entire session. It's just one part of the session. Most coaches that I know that use a rondo would probably do a rondo for a maximum of 30 minutes, which means they still have one hour, one hour plus, depending on how many minutes you have for your training session, to do a lot of the other stuff that build on a lot of the other things that you want to build on. So yes, we can. And as a coach, we do this all the time. You trade off certain realisticness of the game or certain representativeness of the game to exaggerate certain behaviors because that is the focus of your learning for that task. I think that is sound task design principle. So the trade-offs of the rondo, yes, are they there? Yes, are there certain things that are not in the rondo? Yes, is that trade-off worth it? Yes, if the coach is looking for something that the exaggeration in the rondo produces. I would end there. Over back to you, Yas. No, I, I just no, I, I just say one quick comment, and again, appreciate you coming back. I think it goes back to the question. The question for tonight is, should I or shouldn't I? And I think for everyone, we've just got to ask that question of, that's what tonight was about, is that are you comfortable with doing what you're doing and why? What's, what, what is the trade-off? What are you happy amplifying or dampening? And that's something that you've got to ask yourself and how well do we do that as coaches? And it's not to say that you can only do this and you can't do this and this that, and the other. But what we are saying is have a real think about what it is that we're trying to achieve. Because if we're saying we want to achieve X, Y, and Z, then is this the best? And that's what we're saying. Brilliant. And just, just to build on that, and just to respond to what John said there, uh, John, I, will, and this may be controversial, but I will actively state, state rather, that I am encouraging coaches to not use the rondo purely because of the trade-off that you mentioned there in terms of what the rondo ex- exacerbates and you know amplifies as, as a quote-unquote benefit will not translate itself directly into a game where a 4v4 as an example which you're right doesn't relate to the game as much as maybe the 9v9 does but what the 4v4 in any small-sided game allows you to do beyond 3v3 is effectively work on the principles of the game. The same principles which these players are then expected to be able to react to and deliver on and implement effectively within the full game. And I'll just I'll just pause it there on that on that note before we bring uh, the next person in. But guys, look, it's honestly been a fascinating conversation, and I think there's lots of debates, lots of points. And if anyone else wants to kind of obviously come up and speak, because you know this one's going on a bit longer than we anticipated or maybe it's the right length of time in fact because there's so many different views and you know just on that take a moment to follow myself job we are here every single sunday discussing different topics we had an idea um to bring this one to the to the forefront and we we did anticipate it being quite a quite an impactful one and um one with a lot of opinions so before we um continue if guys yeah if you can just give us a quick follow share the space to everyone else try and get some more people in there um, and Antonio, over to you, man. How are you? Uh, 
Hi, everybody. Uh, I hope it's not echoing too much. Um, just a couple of thoughts, really. Um, firstly, I think the only absolute in the game is I've got to score more goals than you do. Uh, so to hold any opinions that are absolutes is really down to that individual. The next point I would make is, is this coach-centred or is it player-centred? Because wherever you go, uh, and I've seen everything from academy under-9s to professional club first teams to watching the England international team train, everybody loves a rondo. It might not be the most impactful use of time, technically or tactically, but we always struggle, I said we always struggle, we often struggle to satisfy the psych and social corners and it, it ticks a massive box. Uh, the last point that I'll make is that I, I've posted up a little session. I hope it's transferred all right. If not, I'll try and do it again using a different method, um, which I, I've always called it a rondo. It's positional. Um, it's got players on the outside. It's got players on the inside, but they're in specific positions for specific roles. We've talked a lot over the last few weeks about practice design. So my belief is that if you design a rondo correctly and give both teams an objective, albeit, uh, in my case, directional, then, I don't know, is it a rondo, I suppose, would be the question. So if you get a chance, have a look and, and by all means, throw some feedback on there. I'm not sure if it, I think it went straight to SSP versus the actual session plan. It'd be great to see the session plan actually, Tony. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, cool. I'll um, I'll have another look at it when when I get out of here, and uh, and if it needs redoing, I'll redo it. Tony, I think I think you make a great point there. Um, I think the first thing to highlight is is this though, coming back to what Gerard said earlier. We need to understand the origins of what Rondo is and where it comes from. Um, and the key thing that I really want coaches to start to think about that are currently using Rondos is to shift their thinking in the same way that you have by bringing in that directional element. Because the moment you bring that directional element in, it does actually move away from being a Rondo and more of a possession activity or possession practice, however you wish to view it. Therefore, coming back to my initial kind of thing, is that rondos, in the way that they're generally traditionally delivered, in my opinion, are not as impactful as a directional possession practice, as you suggested there, Tony. I don't know what your thoughts are on, on that one, Gerard. I've pointed out, Tony, and again, it's like, some people might say, we said this right at the start, we talked about that, some people might talk about like positional possession, and I, I've always tried to view these type of activities or design them more realistic where they are. I, and I thought it was interesting how Tony used similar terms there. And sometimes we use a term and we think we're talking about the same thing, but we're probably talking about different things. And I just found it fascinating how Tony was talking about, and it'd be great to see what the session looks like, that like positional possession. So he's putting them in similar scenarios where they're going to start to see and feel 
what the relationships look like in that particular problem that he'll have created. And I think that's what we're talking about. And that links to, and it can't go away from it. And as, as Tony said, like that absolute, I thought it was quite interesting. Where he said the absolute is you've got to score more goals than the opposition. You know, that that's that's the object of the game. Well, And direction dictates that for multiple reasons based on the rules of the game. And I think that's where then, if we know direction is a huge part of that, how does that influence where players have to look for information. Um, yeah, I think it's really, really clear, concise and fascinating from, from, the, from the messages shared. Spot on. Cheers for that, Tony. Um, Johnny, you're up next, man. Let us know your thoughts. Are you with us or against us, man? To be honest, like I, I said earlier, uh, I get the points you guys are trying to make in general. I just think maybe it's overly extended. And I would make the same argument I make for Rondo for isolated practices as well, which I know is also a very contentious subject, which a lot of coaches would probably also suggest to some other coaches not to do isolated practices and even in my own journey as a coach maybe five six years ago i was in that category of coaches that probably would tell other coaches not to use isolated practices but the more i've coached and it actually came from even studying the literature on some of these things on constraints based learning on representativeness of the game is in the literature I started to discover the validity of some of this what some coaches would call impoverished contexts yes they are impoverished contexts but I think there is still a lot of value to their usage I am always a bigger fan of educating coaches on what the limitations of those tasks are so that coaches don't overuse them so yes, would yes. Be to, if I understand there are limitations to the rondo, then I wouldn't overdo the rondo. Does not mean I would never not do the rondo because I still think there's still a lot of value to doing the rondo or even some more isolated practices that don't even have a defender. Sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. Only because of only because of jo Johnny Johnny go in, but even on the unopposed stuff, and we can bring that up in the next debate for sure. But I think a key thing there is just understanding what contextual interference do you have? Because that will influence how you solve problems and, and, and make decisions. And again, that's potentially another rabbit hole, but I would, I would, I'd have many counter arguments for you, especially doing my PhD, my own experiences, Things that, I mean, we actually talked about this with Tony and Johnny and a few others in recent weeks in terms of that practice spectrum. And I think, without contradicting myself, we do have to be careful of dualisms. And it's not to say that this end and right over here is out, you know, the only way and this down here is bad because there will be those arguments where there's, some, there's always a place for something somewhere. 
I would definitely say that, you know, am I designing purely unopposed? And I don't, we shouldn't get into that because we've got to get to Johnny, but I would be saying, like, think about contextual interference versus if you're thinking about unopposed work, because actually the players make decisions based on information from the environment. Um, And, you know, this this is key. But Johnny, what's your thoughts? Hey, fellas, it's been been really good tonight. I think I've taken the most notes than I have out of all of our spaces so far. I think level is important. What level you work at, I, I I'd say this has been more of a, a high end elite level conversation about far more specific and questions we ask. I think there's a, another big question that comes from Rondo's. It's a pet hate of mine. Is if you do them or you don't, whatever. But is the ball in or is the ball out? Little things like that, for me, as Tony touched on, can maybe affect the psychosocial part of it. Is it out? Is it not? Does that then creep into the bigger game? And then I'll just finish on that I think I'll tag Yaz in every single Rondo post I see because I feel like he's a a great white shark swimming after some chum at the moment. Sorry, my internet's cutting in there. Apologies, guys. Yeah, Johnny, I think you make you make a point there about about the level. Uh, in my opinion, I don't think it matters what level you work at. Um, you know, great white shark right now or not, I don't agree with Rondo. Whether you're whether you're doing it with ten year olds, whether you're doing it with thirty year olds, in my opinion, and it's you know, it's a strong opinion. I know a lot of people won't agree with it. It shouldn't exist. People use it. In my opinion, it's so far removed from what the principles of the game are. Yes, you can argue there's some technical components in, involved in it, but because it is multi-directional, it, dis, it, it, it just breaks away from the principles of the game. Now, only because of that reason do I believe that it should not be used by coaches as opposed to maybe a replacement of a, of a small-sided game or, or you know, whether that be a 3v3 or 4v4 or whatever else you might want to do to it. Because the other argument is this, is obviously people say, oh, yeah, well, what if I bring one a direction into my rondo? Well, it's no longer a rondo. It's now a possession activity, possession act, uh, practice or whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, that's, that's what I would say to that. And I, and, and I think there's been a lot of points made about this, both in this space and obviously, you know, in, in the last few days around some of the conversation that's taken place. And I, and I go back to this first piece, and the, you know, the most important piece, and we talked about this right at the top of the conversation, is are you being as impactful as you can be as a coach? Now, I say that to say just because you are getting some outcomes in your session, more than anything, if you take one away from one thing away from this conversation, is just ask yourself, can I get more out of this? And I think the more often you'll ask yourself that question, the more likely, in my opinion, it is that you will start being honest and open and say, actually, I need to move away from a rondo because it's not actually giving me as many outcomes that I want. I maybe am choosing to believe that it can give me because it doesn't have the direction piece in it. Therefore, it cannot relate to the game directly on realistic and consistent variables 
and perceptions and cues that might exist within the game. Sorry, Johnny, go on. No, I think it's a good point. I think it's it's one of those things is I'm verging on culture maybe here, but it's the point of just what the question's about is, you know, the whole New Zealand sweeping the sheds thing came out and everyone jumped on sweeping the sheds, but they have a purpose and a reason, a philosophy behind it. So I think that's important for the question because it's a, a bigger point of just rondos, but the rondos is the focus tonight, is is the why you're doing it. And I think we've covered it really well tonight and, and just great job for everyone tonight. I've really enjoyed it. No, a great point. I think that's a great lasting message for everyone, which is what's the rationale behind why you do what you do? Because I think if we're talking about representative information, design these environments that guide players' intentions and and effectively help them to become better at problem solving, we've got to think about direction. We've got to think about choices, competition, consequences, what the opponents are doing. The ball, you know, we never talk... We, I don't think we talk too much about that, but the ball, which is to your point, Johnny, you know, so these are all things that are key in the design of anything that we do, and you know, that lasting thing that you said and, and everyone really in Yaz, you know, should I or shouldn't I? Great question for tonight. Go away and everything we do, can we ask that question of what am I getting out of tonight? Am I comfortable with it? How can I make it look more like what their game looks like? Brilliant. Love tonight. Definitely, definitely. Just want to say a massive thank you to everyone that's obviously joined us this evening with their views, their opinions, their thoughts. And guys, let's you know, let's keep the conversation going. You know, if you've got any thoughts and opinions on anything that's come out tonight, and you're not confident enough, or maybe don't necessarily want to share your views in a space, feel free to tweet us, um, DM us, let us know your thoughts. Um, again, massive thank you, guys. If you're not already doing so, please follow myself and Gerard because we are here every single week um, on a Sunday evening, sharing some different conversations and hopefully having more debates like this one because this this has definitely been one of the most um, fruitful debates that we've had uh, since we started doing these spaces and you know we, we encourage it we want we want to hear from different people's views their thoughts their opinions so that we can all do what we hopefully um call coaching in our own views and, and, and opinions um perceptions in the best way we can and, you know we want to continue to network grow um develop ourselves so that we can keep developing players as well um, and just to kind of follow up, guys, um, if you haven't seen already, um, we are going to be running a webinar on the 25th of September. You can uh, contact uh, me directly with a DM and I can sh I can send you the details to register for that. And myself and Bill are delivering a webinar on practice spectrum, um, looking at different types of practices, some of the, some of the pros and cons, uh, and maybe offering some opinions around what we would go for. So feel free to get in touch on that note as well, guys. And if you haven't caught the full conversation, um, these conversations are available on the Coaches Network podcast where just recently, or last Friday actually, we had a, uh, a visual perception expert talking to us, talking to myself rather, specifically about the use of the Rondo and some of the benefits, perceived benefits of unopposed activity versus that of opposed activity. So feel free to check that out as well. Again, if you need any links to that, you can DM us or you can find it on wherever you find your podcast really, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all the major platforms. But guys, again, thank you for Tony. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, uh, John. Yasir, great thoughts, great views, great opinions. Um, love to hear it. Make sure you're following us. Um, and we are out, guys. Have a great evening.
Good night, everyone. Have a great one. See you. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.